0: That, af- that actually fits. Good morning. I think we'll get started because it is five after. Um, this is uh, discipleship training, uh, the adult side. The title this week is um, every member of Disciplemaker, the, the church is called to counsel, or you could say the church is called to disciple. Um, many of you know I've been studying biblical counseling for a few years and uh, I can't put that into 45 minutes. It just ain't, ain't gonna happen, um, obviously. So this is sort of a biblical counseling 101 for non-majors or something. I mean you don't have to be you know heavy into it. Um, and part of the reason for that is that, as I hope you'll um, uh, will make sense to you, that biblical counseling, the problem with counseling is it has this to me, <laughs> that's why I wasn't interested about three four years ago in it because it has to me the idea of the couch and the low light and the guy with the, the patches and the uh, jacket and a big beard and a legal pad and tell me about your childhood, you know, kind of, right? Uh, psychotherapy, that's, that's what came to mind. This is not psychotherapy, okay? It's not psychology. Um, so there's a huge difference, and hopefully you'll, in, you'll kind of get the picture that when we say biblical counseling, some churches have full-on ministries and hired staff uh, for what they call intensive discipleship instead of calling it biblical counseling. That's perfectly synonymous, so it works, right? And that's actually what it is, and that, that's where we're going with all this. All that's to say is, as Hannah Nay witt used to say, all's that's to say is... Um, We'll, we'll talk some about biblical counseling and why it really is not a professional thing. It's an every member, every member of the body of Christ thing. But let's, let's pray first. Heavenly Father, we are uh, quite grateful for uh, the morning that you've given us. We, we thank you that uh, you made your word uh, understandable. Um, we'll never get to the end of it, to the bottom of it and say, there, I finished it, uh, understand it entirely. Um, And yet we can't understand it. And uh, your Holy Spirit in the life of a believer makes that possible. Uh, We pray for that today. Uh, We pray for hopefully good discussion as well. And uh, may, uh, might you uh, kind of awaken in in our church a, a longing to be able to help each other, build each other up, the one another's, including in becoming conformed to the image of Christ, your plan for all your saints. Thank you again for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, biblical counseling or intensive discipleship. Um, you can take your pick there. Uh, if you have a handout, if you don't, they're on the chair that's facing backwards at the corner in the back. Um, if we run out, I don't think we did, but if we run out, we can, we can make some more. But um, again, since this is kind of intro, <laughs> intro to BC, intro to biblical counseling, uh, let me give a quick, uh, you know, what it is and what it isn't kind of thing. I do hope to have just kind of basic some examples and kind of leave it open to uh, have time and bandwidth or whatever to, to talk, take questions, talk about uh, uh, what you have questions about too. Um, so what it is, and, and this is, this I kind of gleaned from the Puritans uh, way back then. Um, they... I what. It seems to me that they might kind of chuckle at our formalizing this biblical counseling thing. There's degrees in it. In this room, you have someone who has a bachelor's in it and another person who has a master's in it in, that, in biblical counseling. They might chuckle at that um, because they'd say, if you've got two believers in the Bible and an issue of life, you, biblical counseling, as long as you bring the Bible to bear, because as two believers, you've got the Holy Spirit, right? And if you've got the Bible, which the Holy Spirit illumines, then you have everything pertaining to life and godliness. We're going to get to that scripture. If you have the page, you'll see it, you'll see it down at the very bottom of the first page. But uh, that's a case that Biblical Counselor Intensive Discipleship makes, is that we are given all things. Well, the Bible makes the case, but uh, we're given all things pertaining to life and godliness. All of them pertaining to life and godliness. But anyway so if you have two believers in the bible and thus the holy spirit and you bring scripture to bear on the issues of life you're doing biblical counseling that's the way the puritans work at it well our culture isn't exactly i don't know if you noticed this maybe if you haven't let me assure you that our culture is not now like it was then And there's some things that are actually better like antibiotics but right uh, surgery for appendicitis gee why do i keep going to medicine but, there, but for the most part, what we're seeing now is that a, a culture that is not assuming that the Bible is true or assuming that the principles found in the Bible are worth founding a country on, right? Um, so it's different. I get that. Uh, we can't uh, take what the Puritans were doing and just plug and play. Um, one of the biggest things about biblical counseling, <clears throat> that third arrow point there under what it is, is to give hope. And that's something that's drilled in, in me and during training in this. Um, and I didn't get it at first, just how important it is. But if someone's coming to you, whether it's in the foyer, you know, it's over coffee, it's in your home, in the backyard, uh, at the playground, and they've got something huge going on and they're pouring out their heart. What our, our tendency, especially guys, but I think women will do this too. It's not just guys, we'll, we're gonna fix it. I'm gonna give you a verse, You know, take two verses and call me in the morning, or don't call me in the morning, but I'm gonna give you these little things and then boom, you're done. I have a coffee cup, I think Dave has the same coffee cup, that says I can do all things through a verse taken out of context, right? Because the context is not climbing mountains, it's contentment, right? So you have to get the, okay. Anyway, so it's not fix it quickly, it's give hope. And is it, everything's gonna be okay? because that's what the Disney films say, or or um, some of the music on the radio. No, it's because God has given us all things for life, pertaining to life and godliness. In his scripture, we find hope. In the fact that it is his will that we be sanctified. That's his will for our lives. I'm gonna prove it to you. In that, there is hope, because that means he's in on this. But I'm kind of getting ahead. Uh, So hope is huge. And and making sure that we provide hope, even when we're talking one-on-one or one-on-two or whatever, is is that hope and not just uh, Pollyanna uh, optimism, right? Secular optimism, um, but actual hope because we know that the scripture is true and that God is at work in the world and the Holy Spirit is at work specifically in the lives of believers. Um, So what is it not? What is biblical counseling or uh, intensive discipleship not? It's not professional psychological counseling. Um, we run into that uh, fairly commonly. Somebody will send somebody to the office because they need professional help, so to speak. Um, and yeah, there can be things that are very difficult in life that, gee, just me and my friend talking, I realize I, I, I need to bring someone else in on this. But we do, We that's our culture, right? We do tend to think, I I need professional help, or you need professional help, you need professional well, let's go get professional help. Well, actually, biblical counseling is not that, and thank God it's not. <laughs> because professional help in our culture is psychology, right? And the funny thing about psychology is psyche means what? Soul. Yeah, I, I mean, it means soul, and ology is the study of, right? My, my undergraduate is biology, the study of life, if you will. Right? Um, physiology, the study of how the body's physio- physiology works, um, physics work. But ology, so it's what is psychology. It should be the study of the soul. And yet, hardly anybody who uh, is in psychology believes there is a soul. Well, how can you study a soul that you don't believe in? And you don't believe the God that created the soul. And you don't believe that what he wrote down in his revelation is true, reliable, or even relevant, how are you going to address the soul? And yet, we send people, you know, to, uh, not you, right? And yet, even as Christians, we send people to professional counselors uh, who may not even believe there's a God. Um, It's not psychotherapy, which is what I uh, scoffed at the Freudian kind of thing on the couch, you know. Um, tell me how that makes you feel and then as I ran across recently in some paperwork a licensed professional service provider boy is that generic it doesn't even say psychology or counseling or uh, marriage and family therapist or licensed clinical social worker it's just a licensed professional service provider um, I don't even know what that means yeah. who they're talking about Kathleen said could be a carpet cleaner <laughs> 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 I mean, licensed professional service provider could be a contractor as well. It could be me <laughs> as a physician. I, you know, I don't know what that means. Uh, anyway, especially in the context, they needed to be more uh, specific than that. It's not talk therapy. I don't know if you've heard of that. You know, as opposed to uh, doing a ropes course on a retreat and walking over a hot, cold bed that has ashes and you walk quickly so you don't burn your feet. They figured that out scientifically. Why That, w- that used to be really popular years ago. You walk across a bed of coals and you feel really you know, confident about it because you did something. That's action therapy. Talk therapy is let's talk about this and that will fix it. Well, we are talking if you and I are talking or you're talking with a friend about the issues of life and you're bringing Scripture to bear and you're praying and you're um, asking the Holy Spirit to, to empower you. You are talking, but that's not the end of it. So that's why it's not talk therapy. So you're saying, wait a minute, okay, if it's not t- if you wouldn't call it talk therapy, then why not? We'll get to that. Um, it's not the hour of power. Um, you know, You come in, and this kind of goes along with that talk therapy, and this is why therapists make money for years on the same patient, because they never really change. And your whole therapy is that hour. And then you gotta kind of go make it until the next week, that next hour um, of power. And that's where you hopefully get up, build up, and then it's gonna kind of, you know. That's actually not the way biblical counseling works. It's more like a coaching session. If you're talking about an actual appointment, you know, we're going to do biblical counseling together to figure out how you're going to work on things the whole next week or two weeks or whatever the interval is. All right. So it's about action, not talk, 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 talk. I feel better and now I'll go on my way. You know, it's let's talk about how we're going to attack, (laughs) you know, your situation, your world, your life for the next week. And then we come back and say, how'd it go? Well, this went really great. This did not go well. Okay, let's work on that for the next week. So it really is like, you know, you come to the sidelines, talk to the coach, and during that hour, and then you're back in play. That's really different. Act believe it or not, that's really different than the psychotherapy model. They'll talk about some things you could change in your life, but that's not the expectation. The expectation is, you know, this is our power hour, and you're gonna pay me, you know, handsomely for it. And you're gonna have to go for 20 years because you don't actually get fixed. Um, One thing we got to be careful too of biblical counseling um what it's not and this is a um, criticism that's been leveled against biblical counseling or people that call themselves that and that is that it's basically just uh psychology with proof texts um you mean you know we're actually going to use all the science that's available to us that's actually the wording that you'll hear we're using all the truth that's available to us all the science that's available to us and then we'll add scripture on top of that so it's like we're going to build something on uh, with psychology and structure, and then we'll take a rattle can of Christianity, and just throw a little verses on top of it, and call it Christian. Um, actually, that's that's a there's a whole um, school of so-called Christian or biblical counseling called Christian psychology, and that's essentially what they do. Um, I could talk with you about that after, if, if that's if that. Um, it's home for you. Um, there's uh, this last point under what it isn't. An adjunct to psychology to address the spiritual aspects once the pros have dealt with the important stuff that the Bible does or cannot address. How does that hit you? Um, counseling and Christianity five approaches if you're if this if you geek out about some of the stuff this is a good book because it gives you it gives five different um, perspectives or approaches to counseling and Christianity written by people who adhere to it that's always a cool book right they have them on eschatology they have them on on philosophy and it's written by persons who believe what they're writing it's not one guy writing the five different approaches so um, McMinn is in here. Um, Gary Moon is in here. I don't recommend him except in here because you get the counter perspectives. Stuart Scott, who is one of my profs, um, is in here. Guess which one he wrote? Biblical counseling, right? Um, but they have um, levels of explanation approach. I can't even tell you what that is. I read it, and I don't understand it because it's just psychobabble. And and a little spray paint, if you, if you so choose to do that Uh, integration approach that's Mark McMinn that's the closest to biblical counseling but it has significant problems Christian psychology and a transformational approach um, which is also a little hard to even understand Um, but here's in the transformational approach the the way this book started is they they use Jake as a case and then say okay here's here's your case study on Jake he's at a Christian school um, he came out of the military. He saw a friend die in a helicopter accident, though he wasn't in training, wasn't in wartime, so he never actually saw combat. Um, he got into substances, but this God seemed to um, supply what he thought he needed. Um, but then it's like, is God a drug, right? He thought he could get what he needed from alcohol. He thought he could get what he needed from other um, substances and now is he coming to God in the same way that's one of the questions this guy is really messed up he hasn't been doing his um, schooling he um, almost got in a date rape situation with a Christian gal at the Christian school and it came to the administration's uh, attention and it's a big deal this guy's in deep water and mean, when I read the th- read the thing I said that's come on that's that's impossible that's too much but actually it's not far from you know a lot of what we see in the world so, the idea is that you have to each of your each of the authors, the five authors, has to lay out what they how they look at the case of Jake, <laughs> not our Jake in the back. It's not it's not Jake Benner, uh, I guarantee you. Um, what what they think about it, how they would approach it. You know, what's their their counseling plan? So here's one in the transformational approach. Um, if Jake has consented to a method of counseling that would be a blend of professional counseling with a focus on the client's emotions, thoughts, behaviors, and relationships, and spiritual formation or direction with a sensitivity to matters of the spirit and insights from spiritual theology, for example, I would want to know more about the positive and negative roles religion has played in Jake's life and how he has viewed God at various points in his life. Listen. Listen. I would also want him to feel free to encourage or veto any God talk during the counseling process. This is supposed to be a Christian counselor. That's Gary Moon, but that's why I say don't read him unless it's in something like this. So does that apply to professional counseling talk too? Can he veto that? That doesn't come up. Because that's truth, that's science. I mean, oh gosh, don't get me started. Okay, let me me give you another one. Just to give you an idea of what's out there besides biblical counseling, which is God's scripture is sufficient. That's where I'm going with this. Um, Okay. This is from Christian Psychology Approach. This is Diane Langberg. Um, I'm talking about Jake... Initially in this case, initially in the beginning, we are not emphasizing faith issues. Because this is Christian psychology. Because of obvious distortions in Jake's theology and his use of faith as an attempt to get what he wants, that's that using God like a drug thing. She, she's right about that, he may be doing that. Focusing on more concrete arenas will help stabilize him while forming a strong alliance with the counselor As he experiences his therapist meeting him where he is, helping him to manage what is overwhelming and giving him a sense of hope for change without addressing faith issues, without bringing God into the picture. It involves a therapist entering into the human life of another in ordinary functional ways in order to show empathy and gain trust. When faith issues are later considered more overtly. Jake will be far more open to hearing new truths, laying aside his distortions and not using his faith as if it were another substance to bring relief in destructive ways. Although she's sort of right about that. So later in her own treatment, um, talk about how Jake is, she's really onto this Jake using God in the same way he uses substances. He will have little understanding of himself and the shaping influences in his life. But once he has done the work of therapy, he will be able to hear truth with more clarity. So, get the important work done of psychology first, then we can bring in the spiritual issues. He'll understand his capacities for deception more fully, having found safe relationships where he's both loved and held accountable. Um, I, 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 I think that's more than enough. <laughs> Incredible. What does, God, what does the Word of God say? I'm going to jump down and, uh, to 2 Peter. So turn to 2 Peter 1. If that sounded backwards to you, absolutely completely 180 degrees backwards, you are absolutely correct. <laughs> We're going to get all the important work done and then we'll bring in the spiritual. No, it's actually quite the opposite. You want to start there scripture might offer a little bit but that's not the most important stuff that's christian psychology you can actually uh integration um, which actually a lot of biola teaches integration um, uh, counseling uh, these days unfortunately Um, and that's where they say i'm sorry i know i'm backing up a little that's where they say basically all truth is god's truth which is True, except I'm not how you're about to use it, right? God's word and the good, I mean, there's some wacko stuff in psychology. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking from an integration standpoint. I'm not speaking as myself. Got it? Um, so Bible here, psychology, the good science, the, the, the real stuff here, equally, that should work, right? It doesn't. It never does. Because what happens invariably is, well, this science speaks you know, we've actually got data here, and so we've got to be able to trust this, and inevitably, Scripture comes underneath, comes under psychology. I mean, it's, it's, it's hardly even controversial that that's what happens. You say we'd like to see it here equal. It's not equal to start with. You know, I could go off on psychology. Um, I've really become much more concerned about it than I ever was when I was practicing medicine, which is not psychology. But... Um, Suffice it to say that the ones that are honest about things say that, yeah, we don't know the answers either. Uh, we're trying to help, and they are. They're trying to help, but they don't have the answers. Um, when they clear a patient that uh, has expressed suicidal ideation, that, you know, a Ph.D., a CID, uh, has said to me, Brian, I don't know any better than you who's going to actually kill themselves and who's not. Um, that's not entirely predictable. They don't have the answers, and when they're being honest, they'll confess that to you. Now, back to Second Peter 1, 3. Verse 3, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. And then in 4, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. And escape the corruption that is in the world by lust. He has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. What is that? What is everything? It's everything. Be more specific, Ed. <laughs> Give me one of the one of what's included in everything. God's designs, purposes, and intent for your life, direction your life should take. I'm doing this for the recording. To the, to the glory of God. That's very good. How are you getting there, though? He's granted to us everything to accomplish that. I don't even want to say tools because two of the three are not tools. <laughs> there you go. Right, you're good, Corey, you're walking it back. So, okay, how do we get this knowledge of him that's promised? Through his revelation to us. So one of the everythings to accomplish the, the purpose that Ed very articulately articulated to us um, is the scripture. Okay, so that's one. Is that actually in here or am I just making this up? His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Well, precious and magnificent promises. It's actually named. Yeah, right. In verse four, he actually names the scriptures right there. Right, he gives by a, by a nickname, if you will. Okay, so scripture, that's one. What else? Yes, dear. Oh. Yeah, yeah. that was yes, dear, at Laura, not at Kathleen. <laughs> and both Laura and Kathleen there said, you know. the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, absolutely. Uh, but, uh, seeing that his divine power is granted to us, how does God do that in our lives? It's the Holy Spirit. He is the Holy Spirit. So we have scriptures and the Holy Spirit, and who illuminates the scripture for us? Why do we understand it when the unbeliever doesn't? The Holy Spirit. Okay, so we've got the Holy Spirit and the scriptures. That's awesome. Is that all? <laughs> this one's a little more implied, but it's actually there and a little farther down in the passage. Um Yes, you actually have to be a believer, right? And that's actually a big concept. Um, I was going to say this a little bit later, but let's say it now, because Dave basically said you have to be a believer. Absolutely. Biblical counseling does not work on an unbeliever. Why not? Because they don't have everything pertaining to life and godliness. They may have the scriptures, but it's foolishness to those who are perishing, right? They don't have the Holy Spirit. I'm talking pre-salvation. They don't have this... The Holy Spirit, and they don't have; they can't have godly sorrow. We'll get to that in a minute too. They have; they can really only come up with worldly sorrow. All that can be leading to God saving them. I get that, but at the moment, they you can't biblically counsel an unbeliever. So, what happens if, like, somebody comes in from the community, and and wants to talk about you know the, the train wreck that their life is, or or um, the cancer that they've got? Or that their spouse has or something like that. <laughs> so Andrew would would obviously go right to evangelism because <laughs> he's got a gift. <laughs> That's awesome. Absolutely. It's evangelism. Right. So you're going to give them the gospel. You're going to preach to them the gospel. You can you can bring the word of God to bear on their issues. And hopefully that will show them, wow, I can't do that. But that would be really cool. And the Holy, the Holy Spirit may be working on that. But yeah, so that's, that's why they say you can't biblically counsel an unbeliever. You can evangelize them. And that can be done in a counseling setting. So it's not like you say, wait a minute, before you come in the room, you know, we've got to go through the Romans road. And if you don't accept Christ, then you're out the door. And clearly not. Yeah, so the three, the three things, the three categories or whatever, not categories, the three things that everything uh, I- um, that's pertaining to life and godliness uh, in this passage are, um the Holy Spirit, the scriptures, and if you look down, it kind of is implied down in verse 7. And we talk a lot this about this a lot in this church. The one anothers. It's one another. So how can you have if you're if through verse five through seven or even eight, this cascade here of uh, applying all diligence in your faith supply moral excellence knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness and love. That's not in a vacuum. You know, that's not individual, just me in a, in a cave being a hermit, right? And obviously this is a letter from Peter to people, <laughs> right? So this is to others, one another. You know, the epistles are all that way. Uh, the church, we, we certainly get ecclesiology out of out of the New Testament in particular, but the community of faith is in the Old Testament too. So although it's not named here, everything that he's he's, uh, uh, calling out there is the Holy Spirit, Scripture, and each other, one another. Um, Iron sharpens iron in Proverbs. I think it's 27. So one man sharpens another. Okay. And if you're... I I did spell that out at the bottom of the uh, first page. That's 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4. Um, If you want to look at that a little bit later. But the basic tenets of which that is one, uh, I list there in no particular order, but clearly, as as, uh, Andrew brought up, the gospel is first, foremost, foundational, and relevant to all people and their situations. Um, We tend to think, well... Yeah, but they're having a problem with their spouse now, so I don't want to bring the gospel in. <laughs> I, I I get that. I, I'm I'm speaking from my own heart experience there. It's like, well, we got to deal with this this marriage thing, or we got to deal with this job thing, or they just got the news that they have cancer. We got to we got to handle that right away. Um, we do need to address that, no doubt, but not to the exclusion of the gospel, because where else is hope, ultimately? no other place um, except that we can be saved and that God put on flesh and dwelt among us for the purpose of calling out a people, uh, saving them to be with him forever. That that addresses every issue of life. We have to start there and remember that that's, that's our foundation. That's who we are as believers. Now, let's move on to the things that, you know, that are affecting us or affecting our, our family or our children or our parents or whatever the case may be. Right? If it's foundational, it's foundational. Let's, let's start with the foundation. Even if it's just by way of reminder, um, my props have, have uh, said uh, consistently that even with someone you are absolutely convinced as a believer, go over the gospel in the second or third session. Because if nothing else, it's like, oh yeah, that's right. <sighs> you know, okay, Now. I'm standing on, you know, my feet are shod with the uh, piece of the gospel. Um, Okay. Um, Another very familiar uh, scripture to you, and turn there if you don't have it memorized, uh, in 2 Timothy 3. This is a good one in our children's ministry. It was in Iwana, and it's in uh, Adventure Club now. Uh, You hear it all the time in our church, which is a good thing. Um, If you have the NAS, it says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, (coughs) equipped for every good work. The Legacy Standard Bible uh, says God breathed instead of inspired. Um, The reason for that is, as I know you've heard, excuse me, from the pulpit before, is that the word, the Greek word that Paul uses there, he coined. He coined. It wasn't, from our understanding, it wasn't a word that existed before that. Um, And it's theonoustos, panoustos, right? God, breathe, like pneumonia, (laughs) P-N-E-U, right? Where we get that is from the same Greek root. But theonoustos means God breathe. So I really appreciate the Legacy Standard Bible. They put it in there. It's God breathe. And let us deal with it, (laughs) what that means. So teaching, reproof, correction for training in righteousness that the man of God may be um, adequate or up to the task. We tend to think of adequate as just barely making grade. It's just like, well, it's a D or maybe a C minus. No, adequate is fully adequate, up to the task, Um, equipped for every good work. So what we take from this and other scriptures too is that scripture is sufficient. That's that's a really huge tenet of biblical counseling. There's other ones, like the ones I would, those examples that I read. In fact, I would even argue that the integration does not, and that's why they want to put psychology on par with Scripture, because it's not sufficient by itself. We have to add the good stuff from psychology. I'm not sure how much good stuff there is. The more I read of it, it's really a, its own mess, and this is not the time or place to get into that. But... Um, I'd be willing to talk with you if if you're interested in that. So, yeah, they put psychology on par with Scripture because Scripture, ultimately, in their view, is not sufficient. It needs help. No, it doesn't. That's a basic tenet of biblical counseling, is Scripture is sufficient. It needs no help. It needs each other to help us interpret and apply. That's not what I mean. But it stands on its own. It doesn't need another text. It doesn't need another expert to come along and and say, well, Scripture's not good enough here, so we're going to add this. Um, Make sense? Any questions on that aspect of things? This this is not a surprise to this body, uh, that we think Scripture is sufficient. I knew that before I started studying biblical counseling, and I learned it here. I learned the concept here in the last 22 years, dear? Where'd you go? Something like that, 22 years now. Yeah. Right. So so the medicine in that case is above the scripture in the medical community's mind. So they look at, the, they look at oh. that. Oh they look at that interpretation that Yeah. And, and they go, well, well they're, they're likening the psychological brain is a physical thing too, so we we've, we've gotta we gotta medicate the brain. Yeah to and, and that's above the Bible too, Yeah. No, I, I appreciate that, Greg. So the idea is that since you got pneumonia and you have to do you you need to give antibiotics for that does that seems to put medicine above scripture Um, and then when it comes to well the brain is is having problems then we ought to we ought to do the same thing if we've got science that shows that uh, medications or or psychotherapy helps the brain with this then uh, then we ought to why wouldn't we put that above scripture too Um, I get that and that is out there Two problems with that is, one, you're not putting, uh, you said Cipro, I would choose leviquin, but whatever. So, (laughs) amoxicillin's okay, yeah, that's all right, for kids especially, in in pneumonia. But I'm not putting that above Scripture, because Scripture doesn't tell me to do something different than that. You know, Paul says to Timothy, take a little wine for your frequent stomach ailments. There's nothing there that says, thou shalt not take medicines, for infections, you know, the antibiotics didn't exist in this day, you know, weren't discovered, um, right? I'm not putting, um, I haven't run into this too much, but the idea of the faith healing, or like appendicitis is a good one, uh, or even don't, or accepting a blood transfusion, the JWs who are not believers, it's a cult, but they will not accept blood because of Deuteronomy says don't drink blood. Um, they, they think they're putting scripture above science, and they're not because they're misunderstanding scripture. Right? Um, the common graces of modern medicine right, um, are not, don't stand over and against God's word because there's nothing that says you can't have surgery. Uh, nothing even gives us the principle that you should not have something like surgery or, or, or a medicine that'll help. Uh, that you should instead believe God will take that away. We don't see that in Scripture. Um, the problem is when we go to mental health, as they call it, you say that the brain is having some malfunction, and uh, so we need to have the medicine or whatever psychotherapy to fix that, and that goes, ab- and so we're putting, uh, that, uh, we're putting science above Scripture. The problem is that they don't have the science. Psychology, and that's what I didn't really want to get into too much, but psychology has done an incredible job. And this was Freud, Sigmund Freud's stated goal to get themselves on the coattails of medicine, even though this was, you know, over hundred years ago now, um, to be seen in this, in the same light and credibility as hard science or soft science or social science. And in his day, there was no science at all. He had absolutely no science. Now they do in scientific studies, but it's psychology is limited to observed behavior and reported thinking. They can't go into your brain and figure out what you're actually thinking or why you're thinking that. They're absolutely limited to what you report to them as you're thinking and what they see you do. The whole DSM 5 TR now, right? The, the diagnostic and statistical manual of the American Psychological Psychiatric Association excuse me, association, Um, is just diagnoses. There's nothing about causes. There's nothing about cures, even nothing about treatments. It's only a taxonomy. It's almost like the kingdom, phylum, family, orders, genus, species, if I got that right, you know, of the animal kingdom and the plant kingdom. It's really only that. They just, here's OCD, here's ADD, here's um, psychosis, here's, and this is how you can, you say, yeah, that's probably what that is. They've categorized these things, but they don't have a brain malfunction. We know exactly what goes on with pneumonia. I can see on the x-ray or the CT, if we took a piece out or in an autopsy, you can, you can put it under a microscope and you see exactly what's going on with pneumonia. They have no idea what's going on or why this is happening. And like um, we're, we're going to get to med. Yeah, it's almost a quarter till so we, we need to get there. but. Um, Medications, um, the official, I'm trying to think of uh, which uh, entity of the U.S. government it is, has one of those, you ever seen those diagrams that has the hundred little um, silhouettes of a man, almost like a men's room door? There's a hundred of them, and then they have, if the um, the, uh, death rate is 5%, then they have five of them blacked out. You ever seen those kind of graphics? They're really pretty good because you say, well, what's the risk of dying from my appendectomy or dying from uh, a bee sting or from an anaphylactic reaction to an antibiotic that I've never taken before? Um, Or cross-reactivity, all those kind of things. That's actually a pretty good graphic because you see, okay, here's 100 people, 100 little, and they actually have 100 of them. And then the ones that are blacked out are the ones that die from it. Well, if it's one, you go, okay, that's one in 100 or they'll have like half of the guy blacked out if it's like a half a percent or something. Well, so they actually did a graphic of that for antidepressants and we're thinking the SSRIs as Prozac, Paxil, Zoloft for the most part. Um, the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, the idea being the serotonin is a neurotransmitter. They've noticed in depressed people that the levels are low, so if they stop or decrease the uptake they'll be in the synapse longer to have more of an effect. So really what the, there's a there's a natural turnover and they're slowing down that turnover so that it's it's stimulating longer the same uh, neurotransmitter not giving you serotonin. The problem is that they don't know that the low levels that they have found in depressed people are causing the depression. Could not the depression be causing the low levels? Yeah. They don't know. So this graphic shows when you take out the placebo effect, which is now 30 plus percent, I think it's even close to 40 um, and it's gone up because we trust medicines more (laughs) over the last decades. So the placebo effect is getting higher. How could that be? We trust medicines more than my grandmother did, right? One in five may get an effect from an SSRI that's legitimately attributable to that medicine. 20%. 20%. Now, if cipro, as Greg mentioned, were 20% effective in pneumonia, I'd be committing malpractice to use it. 20, one in five. I got 90 plus percent effective antibiotics. Why would I ever choose one that's one in five? That has a 20 It would never make the market. And again, I could be legitimately accused of malpractice for giving a patient something that works 20% of the time. Now. So antidepressants don't fix the problem. Can they help with some symptoms? And this is actually one of what I wanted to get to in the last 15 minutes. So medications is a big issue among Christians. Do you take medications or not? Um, and in the past, actually, biblical counseling had been really hardcore against them because what they saw is people depending on them and not going to scripture to do the hard work of therapy, as the gal said about psychology, the hard work of scriptural, uh, you know, based discipleship or biblical counseling. So they were really against them. Turns out that they really had gone overboard with that. I, I and a lot of um, people in the biblical counseling. I think most of the ACBC now, um, ILK, that's the American Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. Um, not all of them but i think the the majority would say and my profs do at masters university that medications can be a useful adjunct we're f- we're basically flipping not intentionally or not you know knowingly we're flipping the the tables on that well the bible can be a useful adjunct to the real therapy we're saying no the medicine's can be a useful adjunct to the real therapy which is getting the word of god getting before god with our uh, hearts drilling down to the root and find out what's causing the fruit that we're seeing that we don't like. Well, we, we run it back to the root, uh, whether it's bitterness, pride, jealousy, envy, all those sins. Um, so do I have an analogy? Sure. If you broke your leg, I had a, I had a nephew playing baseball who got a both bone fracture in his forearm. They live in Colorado, but they happen to be nearby. So he ended up in my ER. It was the weirdest thing. I'm like, Ethan, <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> my sister would call me. But um, he needed surgery, plates and screws, and he got it. I went and found my favorite orthopedic surgeon, and, and, and he happened to be on call, which was great. So he, he was going to fix that. Now, that's what he needs. Th- he's got to have that. Would it be okay if I gave him pain medicine? No, no, because what he needs is the surgery. You, you give him pain medicine, you're not dealing with a surgery. Well, can I do both? Yeah. Am I going to try to help him not believe that it's the pain medicine that's fixing him? Yeah. That, oh, I feel better now with with my my pain not as bad. I don't think I'll do the surgery. Right? I don't think I'll do the real work, what's really needed, even though it's going to be more painful than what I'm feeling right now. Well, that's the problem, and I think that's why a lot of biblical counselors were against medicines. But if you, get, if you think of it as, as I'd go Mo- Motrin, not morphine, because that's a whole, that opens a whole other can of worms. But let's say Motrin, you know, ibuprofen. Um, if we can help with some of the symptoms, it can help you be, feel more like dealing with the real issues. Okay? Again, we got to be real careful about depending on those medicines to fix the problems because they're not. And why is that? Because if we have depression, that's a, that's a real common one. Uh, there are others, but let's go with depression for the moment. Um, you know, Spurgeon was famously afflicted by depression. What about medicines in that? They're not going to fix it because it's not a brain problem if you're increasing the serotonin levels you may be able to not feel like i can't even get out of bed i really can't i can't take a shower i can't pull a bowl of cereal but maybe i'll feel just a little bit better like with the motrin for the ankle fracture or the wrist fracture or whatever Um, i maybe feel a little bit better to get out of bed pull a bowl of cereal and meet with meet with my brother, my sister, if it's a lady, you know, pastor at church, and dig into this stuff. It hasn't fixed me. But the ibuprofen for the for the pain, the antidepressant for the symptoms of depression have helped me to get to where I can actually concentrate and focus on the real work. So that's probably the best way to state the role of antidepressants. Again, don't depend on them. They will not fix you they can't because again it's not a brain problem do we get that about depression it's a soul problem soul is not your brain does your soul use your brain mm-hmm. does it use your foot mm-hmm does it use your stomach mm-hmm those are all parts of your body but is your soul your brain no is our son Ben who has significant brain problems. Is he a lesser soul? He's a believer. Man, that kid. I know no one, not even Terry Gibson, who talks more about heaven and about the millennial kingdom and the eternal state and what he wants to do. He's got big plans. So we're going to have to check that with the king. Okay, oh yeah, that's right, yeah. But his brain has significant structural problems but his he's all soul the kids all heart hasn't it hasn't changed his soul uh, Ed Welch you've probably heard of him uh, he has a couple of really good books out one is called blame it on the brain question mark and he makes a very strong case that you can't basically he says your body can't make you sin <laughs> drop something on my foot let out an expletive deleted should have been deleted it's not my foot that caused me to do that, right? It's not the devil that made me do it. You know, I've come up recently with Flip Wilson and Geraldine. Wasn't that, that was Jeff Campbell, I think, that brought that up, yeah. Um, devil made me buy this dress, he would say. Uh, no, he didn't, <laughs> right? Nor can your body. The devil can't make you do it. Your body can't make you do it. I have cancer and sev- severe pain, and that's why I'm yelling at my kids and telling my spouse that I hate them. No, that's a soul problem. We can be gentle because we understand, yes, you do have a lot of pain. You're having existential, right, issues. Are you really saved? what happens when you die? Because it's not going to be in 30 years. It's going to be in three months. So we can be gentle with that, but it's not your cancer that makes you sin. So it's not your brain that makes you sin. So treating the brain with an antidepressant is not going to make you not depressed. It can't. We are body and soul, and in the, in the Bible is, uh, uses soul, mind, heart, all my strength. I'm missing one. Soul, mind, heart, strength, will. Uh, uses those all interchangeably and synonymously. Um, we have body and soul, and soul is all that. Mind, heart, soul, will. I've digressed to some, and I kind of wanted to do that because I wanted to take the questions. Let me real quick, as it's five till, um, on the back side of the page, um, I do want to address that God's will is your sanctification. And I mentioned earlier that hope is bound up in that. 1 Thessalonians three says, this is God's will for you. Oh, I've wanted to know that since I was you know a teenager, new Christian. This is God's will for you, your sanctification. And he goes on in in B, the rest of that verse, talking about sexual uh, immorality, but it applies, you know, to everything. This is God's will for you, your sanctification. Now, can you thwart God's will? Can I thwart God's will for you? Can your spouse thwart God's will? Can your boss, can your, okay, fill in the blank. Satan cannot thwart God's will. God's will for you is your sanctification. That should be hope. What is sanctification? The word? I mean, what does it mean? What does it look like? What is it? There's a sense in which we're positionally sanctified at the moment of salvation, and the rest of our lives is involved in what they call progressive over time, and increasing sanctification. What is it? Say again. Yeah. Thank you, Ed. And that's in Romans eight twenty nine, being conformed to the image of Christ. That's sanctification, is being more and more Christ like. We said we're trying to be Christ like. We're talking about sanctification. That's that's what the word means. I know we all kind of know the word, but it's like, wait a minute, what does it <laughs> specifically mean? So everybody knows and you. Sorry if you've heard this before from me, because I say it a lot. We know that all things are God works all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose, Romans eight twenty eight. But how often do we go on to twenty (laughs) nine? We usually don't, and then we say the good. I don't see this as good. The cancer, the death, um, you know, the seizure disorder, the type one diabetes, um, the wayward child, uh, the affair, the adultery. I mean. Go on and on. and That does not look good. I agree, it's not. So that must not be what he's talking about. What is he talking about? Well, let's go on to verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, that he might be firstborn among many brethren. That's the good, conformed to the image of his son, that he promises us that God works all things together for in verse 28. So you could say God causes all things to work together for us being conformed to the image of Christ. To those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That That's not the scripture, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but in concept you could say it that way. Ephesians 2, 12 and 13, you probably know this one. Um, the the second half of 12 um, is work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's Phobos and tromos, (laughs) as in where we get phobia from. I mean, it's not like a simple, oh, I kind of got to respect the classics. You know, uh, Bach and Beethoven, I kind of respect them. No, this is phobos, and tromos is like earthquake, so it's quaking. So it's it's fear and trembling, for real. Okay, that's not very encouraging. That's the end of the verse. But fortunately, it's not the end of the sentence, because what is verse 13, Ephesians 2.13? For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Not just the doing, that's good, that's great, but even working on my wanter, as Charles will say. My willer, he's fixing my willer to both will and then to work for his good pleasure, right? So like in a marriage, it's 50-50, right? (laughs) Good. You guys know me well enough to never answer the way I'm leading you down the garden path to answer. Yeah, I'm too predictable in that way. So, okay, so it's not 50-50 in a marriage. It, it's not even 51-49. Okay, so maybe it's 75-25. Well, in, in, in salvation and in sanctification, it's probably 90% God and 10% me. Or well, maybe it's 90% me and 10% God. I mean, I'm supposed to work fear and trembling. What is it? What's the right percentage? It's a trick. 100-100, just like a a marriage. I'm in 100%. Laura's in 100%. Same way God, I am in 100% on my my sanctification. I am working out my salvation with fear and trembling. I'm taking this seriously. I'm working hard. I'm sweating. Holy sweat. God is in 100% in my sanctification. Is that hopeful? Yeah. And it's his will that this succeed. And he doesn't do it for us. And, and he, what? He doesn't do it for us. He does it for his own glory, which is for our best. We have to do and, he's doing and he did, yep. Oh, he doesn't do it. He just doesn't yeah. Do it for us. Right. Sit back and let him do it. Don't do a thing for a child that he can do himself. Kind of. Yeah. Right, he doesn't do it for us, I get it. Yep. So again, the qualifications then for, for being a biblical counselor are not trainings and degrees, those can be helpful. Um, but believer, and so have the Holy Spirit, a Bible, and bringing it to bear on the issues of life. Romans fifteen fourteen 14 says um, that I myself am convinced that you are full of goodness and have wisdom I'm blanking on the rest of it. Yeah. Being able also to admonish one another. So basically what he's telling the church at Rome, the believers in Rome, is that Paul is saying that you have what it takes to biblically counsel each other. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness Filled with all knowledge and able also to admonish one another. Wait a minute, I'm not filled with all knowledge because I'm not omniscient. Can't be what he means there because there's only one who is, right? But we have the word of God, right? And the Holy Spirit will bring it to mind. Um, okay. Um, The examples. I'm going to skip the one in 1 Corinthians 7, if you're if you're looking on that uh, about godly sorrow versus um, worldly sorrow. That's a huge thing in biblical counseling. You say, "Oh, I'm really sorry that I got caught. (laughs) I'm really sorry that this is messing up my life." That's not godly sorrow, and it doesn't lead to repentance. It leads to further death. Um, We see that in our kids. (laughs) Those of us who are parents, we see it in ourselves. But it's just really blatant sometimes. Like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So I don't get punished. Right? Disciplined, corrected. Oh, did I put first? Oh, yeah. That examples. Uh 1 Corinthians 7, 8-10 is, is incorrect. It's 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 10. That's funny. I went to look that up after I wrote that and then forgot when I said, yeah, that's second, to come back and correct it in my in my notes. Um a big thing in, in biblical counseling, finally, is Ephesians 22 to 24. It's also in Colossians 3, about the put off and put on. If you've heard or you're familiar with that one, um, it's, um, it's really a good passage. I commend it to you for, for looking at later today in Ephesians 4. Um, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self. That same thing is called, is said, put off, I believe, in in Colossians 3. Lay aside your old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and the holiness of truth. So we talk about the put off and put on. And I I intended to skip 23 intentionally um, because sometimes we get stuck in the, I'm going to put off an old habit. And then leave it there. Well, no, you got to put on the good, right? You don't just put off the bad, put off the sin. You put on righteousness. And then we also can get stuck um, in the put off and put on, and put off, put on, put off, put on. That's what I'm doing. Well, that's behavioralism if you just leave it there. It's just like I'm going to stop smoking and I'm going to snap a a rubber band on my wrist and set or something. I'm going to replace it with something else that's not harmful. That's just behavioral, cognitive behavioral therapy but renewed in the spirit of your mind is that a uh, God is at work in you both to willing to work for his good pleasure right he's to make you conform to the image of Christ right so it's all of that it's the put off and put on and while I'm putting off and while I'm putting on being renewed in the spirit of my mind because that's God's work in me through his scripture um, that's way too short a treatment <laughs> of, that, of those verses um, but it's, uh, it's important to remember that it's not just put off. Not only that, it's not just put off and put on, it's also being renewed in the spirit of your mind. You can't do that outside of being in God's Word and Him, him working in you. Um, I'm gonna leave it there, I believe. Any other questions? Obviously the medication under questions, frequently asked questions, FAQs, uh, meds we, we kind of have covered. And I could talk to you more about that. Um, It can be tricky. It can be really hard. Um, Again, the bottom line on medications is don't trust them to fix things, but they can help you with symptoms while we're actually doing the real work. That's not the real work. They never actually proved that with the antidepressants anyway. It's just the thought that, hmm, these levels are low. If we can get them higher, then it'll work. Well, it doesn't work, but one in five, according to the US government, one in five. Doesn't mean they might. you might not be one of the one in five, but again, we haven't fixed anything. It's just it's helped your symptoms. Let's actually get to the reason for your symptoms. Jeff. If you do that, do you, don't you run the risk of your brain just starting to completely kind of you know, change the way that it works while you're dealing with it? Is it like kind of re- rewiring yeah. or something? No, in those, uh, there are some that do affect the brain. Uh, brain, that's more in the antipsychotic realm, which I'm not really prepared to address here. Um, just like there are some medicines that can then mess with your liver or your kidney. Yeah, there's some that can actually do some things to your brain. I haven't seen anything in it. I haven't even heard, you know, conspiracy theories, uh, really. I mean, legitimate like, wait a minute, what are we doing here? Uh, this could be causing permanent changes in the serotonin levels. Um, they, uh, you do auto-regulate so that when if you take away those medicines suddenly, then there will be a sudden drop, and that could really make you feel poorly, which is why they say, don't cold turkey. If you're on an antidepressant, don't cold turkey it. Um, and that's something I would really highly recommend because that you can see a Christian will say, I don't need this stuff. I need the Word of God. I'm throwing it away today. Uh, don't do that. Um, you if, you know, talk with your prescribing doctor, too, and, and that's, that's, the, that's the party line in, in ACBC is uh, we're not, even as a physician, I'm not operating as a physician, right, if I'm biblical counseling. There's somebody that prescribed it and it wasn't me. So talk with your prescribing doc. I'd love to talk with your prescribing doc. We can maybe work something out, and I'd love to be able to evangelize to <laughs> that prescribing doc, right? But um, the especially with things like antidepressants, uh, you want to taper them down. There, there's no um, weakness, spiritual weakness in that, and tapering down instead of going cold turkey. It's just practical. Um, I'm trying to think of a, you know, a, a real life example of that. Um, you know, if you need, if you're coming to a stop, you don't slam on the brakes and skid, you know, a hundred feet from the stop sign. I don't know. That's not too good, but it's that idea so if you're thinking whoa you know what I'm gonna get off of these these antidepressants that I'm on okay talk to the doc that prescribed them to you uh, unfortunately most docs really aren't that involved in it it might be your primary care doc. is, says you know I've got eight minutes with you and you tell me you're depressed here try this unfortunately that's just the reality um, they don't mean ill it's just um, a reality it's hard to overcome but if they they, they'll probably tell you if you want to go off them to, to taper, taper down over a certain period of time, and that's that's just wise because then again you're you're getting used to your auto-regulate you're getting used to each you know level uh, as, good as as you do less and less, wouldn't cold turkey them. But make sure that you're you're not just uh, saying uh, I'm putting that off and not putting on scripture either. Usually putting off is sin, and I'm not saying the beds are sin. <laughs> again, that's a, that's a con- it's been a controversial area. I think we're kind of coming to a better place on that than, say, 20, 20 years ago. Any other questions? You can talk to me in between as well. i we'll appreciate your patience. Um, again, kind of an intro, just wanted to wet your whistle. We do hope to establish more of a formalized uh, counseling ministry here. Uh, at FCF. It's been happening because two believers, the Holy Spirit and the Bible, right? It's been happening since day one at this church. Um, But we hope to have a more formalized ministry going forward. So if you're interested in that uh, or about that, then uh, talk to me as well. Okay, let me pray then real quick. And again, if you have another question come up, especially if it's more individual or personal or private type uh, information, we can talk after I take the mic off. Tell me, Father, thank you for a little bit of time to look into intensive discipleship, your will for us, which is our sanctification, to become conformed to the image of Christ. And that is your will, and nobody can thwart that. But we are to work out uh, 100, all in, 100% in, uh, knowing that you're 100% all in, and you are faithful who called us, and you will bring it to pass. Um, what, a, what a hope that is that we can see real lasting change, real lasting growth uh, in our Christ-likeness. And we know that it is your work. We thank you for one another, each other, that can help us in this work. I pray for the rest of our Sunday morning, our worship time coming up, corporate worship, and pray that you finish uh, preparing us and that we would be a fragrant aroma to you in our worship today. In Jesus' name, amen.